This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to Work of Tomorrow on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Christian Tervish. Welcome back from the break. I'm Christian Tervish. This is Work of Tomorrow on Business Radio. Today we're talking about making and selling furniture. In the first half of the show, I talked to Paul Downs, the founder of Paul Downs Cabinet Makers. At this point, it's my big pleasure to introduce my second guest for today. That is Kate Gulliver, Global Head of Talent at Wayfair. Welcome, Kate. Hi, thanks for having me. Kate, Wayfair has literally millions of furniture and home decoration products on, on its website. If you could choose any one of them, do you have like a favorite item that you own in your house or you, you're going to buy this holiday season? It's a great question. Um, well, we are currently renovating a home and putting in some bunk beds for my children. So I'm about to purchase some OOF bunk beds. That's one of our one of the brands that we sell, and my kids are pretty excited about those. Very cool. Now, now tell us, before we get into the details, tell us about Wayfair, what it is for those of us who are listening who may not know what, uh, what Wayfair does. Sure. Wafer is an e-commerce company that sells home decor and furnishings online. Uh, we're one of the largest um, e-commerce retailers exclusively focused on home decor and furnishings, if not the largest. And we source um, and sell a wide range of home products. So everything from your table lamp to a rug to a nightside table we would sell. Um, and that's through our supplier partners. We have over 10,000 supplier partners that we work with um, to get product to our customers. Now, the company started not so long ago by selling TV and stereo racks, right? If I remember correctly, it was racksandstands.com. How do you get from racksandstands.com to a $6 billion plus revenue business? I mean, so what has happened and <laughs> happened so quickly, really? Well, it takes a lot of great people, um, a lot of execution focus. Um, and, and, you know, de dedication to sort of a core set of, of principles. So we are exclusively focused on, on our sector, on home decor and furnishings. Um, our founders, Nurej Shah and Steve Conine, are engineers by training. This is actually their third company. Um, and they saw an opportunity in the early 2000s um, to start websites where the name of the website um, was tied to actually the product that was sold, which was an early SEO play, search um, engine optimization mm -hmm. play on, on Google, frankly. Um, and so from about 2002 to 2011, the site was operated as over 240 different microsites um, that had the URL was the name of the product. And you mentioned the first site, Racks and Stands. There were, you know, hundreds of other sites Wasn't like there that. Wasn't there grandfatherclock.com or so? Grandfather, my, my grandfather grand clocks, yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, there are ones for couches and pillows and nightstands, you know, pretty much any anything in the home decor furniture space you could think of. Um, they had some URLs dedicated to that. Um, but over time, we realized that we could service the customer better um, if we could actually help her um, get to her next purchase, right? Repeat buying behavior. And when you have all of these individual sites, if you bought something, if you bought a couch, and you needed throw pillows for that couch, you might not know that the great experience you had buying from the couch site could also be managed by the people that ran the throw pillow site. Um, so in 2011, the company rebranded to Wayfair.com. Um, we now have a few different brands, but Wayfair is by far our largest brand. It is our mass market retailer, and it, it's the core brand. 
Now, you mentioned you're an e-commerce site, but, but pardon my naive asking, do you make furniture? Do you sell furniture? Or do you broker nope, deals do. between furniture buyers and furniture sellers? Are you a platform? Yeah, so we we very much are, we don't consider ourselves, first of all, we do, do not manufacture any furniture. Um, we also do not consider ourselves a platform. Um, we certainly, you know, work with thousands of suppliers because selection and variety matters in this space. So we want to give our customer the world selection and enable her to find the products that she specifically wants. Um, furniture and home, home decor is often very personal. People have a very specific idea of what they want. Um, and then we create the experience to allow her to find that on our site, rich discovery, amazing delivery, right? We deliver a significant amount of our products in two days. Um, so we're managing all of the logistics, the marketing, the imagery on the site, the discovery of the product, um, but we do not actually manufacture the product ourselves. Um, that's done uh, often through our supplier partners or sometimes even their partners. And pardon the kind of the, the nitty-gritty detail now. Do you own or keep the inventory of, of the bunk beds that you talk, talked about early on, or are you basically mm -hmm. drop shipping and you're, you're linking the customer order to your retail partner and, and that person is shipping their inventory from there? Yep. So we, we typically do not uh, own the inventory. Inventory is very minimal. Um, in furniture, again, you want wide selection. So it would be impossible um, to inventory all of that. But we do work with our suppliers to actually get that product to our customers in as timely as fashion as possible. So when the company was first started in 2002, it was it was dropship as you um, as you just described. Um, but over the last several years, we've actually vertically integrated into much more of our logistics network. Um, so now we actually manage a significant portion of the logistics network um, to enable that amazing experience for our customer. Right? We want her to get that product fast. We want that product to be clean, so undamaged, um, and we want her experience overall to be positive. Um, so we manage our own warehouses, we manage delivery, our own delivery agents, um, last mile facilities that will deliver the product out of. We manage the routing of all of that product. It's our tech systems that that enable that. Um, so we're actually working with our suppliers to help them forward position their inventory based on the volume that we expect to sell and where we expect to sell that throughout the country. And then on the last mile, do you help somebody with installation or is it Ikea style that I'm going to spend my weekend with a four, four millimeter <laughs> screwdriver? Well, so it, uh, it, it's really um, the customer's preference. So much of the product that you, what you're referring to is flat pack, pro flat pack mm -hmm. product, yeah, and we yeah. do sell some of that. Um, but much of the product um, is also, um, you know, comes fully assembled. But even for something that doesn't come assembled, we actually have a, a partnership with Handy. Um, and they, um, they're a third party who you can contract with through our site. So when you're buying the product, you can check out and add, um, add Handy to your, to your order, and Handy will actually assemble the product for you. So if you are buying something flat-packed, there, there is an option for that. And that's, that's part of the type of experience that we're able to provide now that we manage so much of our, of our logistics infrastructure ourselves. And I, I think that really speaks to sort of the core of Wayfair. We actually consider ourselves, you know, you're talking about furniture and platform and you know, or we a retailer or supplier, we consider ourselves actually to be a tech company, right? So what we're always focused on is how can we use our tech platform to enable a better customer experience? Um, and one of those things years ago was we realized people did want the option to have somebody um, actually make that, you know, product for them in their house and assemble it. They didn't want to assemble it. So we, you know, developed a partnership with Handy. We enabled a process and checkout to get that. Um, and, you know, we provided that to our customers because it was an experience that we believe they were asking for. 
What is special about furniture? If you if you think about other things that we sell online, you know, studying historically with books or consumer electronics or com computers or uh, any, anything I can now buy online. Uh, with groceries, there was something special to grocery, which is a purchase frequency and uh, you know the, the the decay that you want the stuff fresh. Right. Uh, cool. you what is special? Yeah. What is special about furniture? So yeah, so a few things. So um, first, as, as I was mentioning earlier, most people, um, for home decor is very personal, similar to fashion, right, and apparel. Mm -hmm. People have a very specific idea. Their home is a reflection of themselves. Um, and so if you were to think about, say, the chandelier that you maybe had hanging in, you know, your dining room at your house, um, and then you think about your neighbor's houses, they probably don't have that same chandelier. Yet that chandelier was likely not custom made for you. So the, the, the critical thing about furniture is that it requires a wide variety and a wide selection, or home decor in general requires wide variety and wide selection. The other piece is that it's usually unbranded. So if you were to think about, um, or, or the brands are not known, so if you were to think about the brand of the light fixture in your house, you maybe know where you bought it from. So you likely know the retailer, but you probably don't know the manufacturer or the original brand behind it. So unlike uh, consumables, where you might be able to go, um, you know, to Amazon or to another website and type in the name of the, you know, brawny paper towels and a bunch of, um, you know, paper towels come up that are made by brawny that are two-ply, four-ply, whatever, and you can order those. Um, with furniture, if you're going to look for a couch, you maybe know that, sure, Crate and Barrel sells a couch or Pottery Barn sells a couch, but you may not know who the actual manufacturer is of the couch that is sold, you know, at Home Depot or that is sold at Macy's, depending on where your price point is. It's actually very difficult to search it online. Um, and typically what you're doing is more a discovery process. Most of our customers will tell us, I'll know it when I see it, mm -hmm. but they can't actually describe what they really want is a flat back, you know, tight arm, um, navy blue couch. They have to actually see the images of it to find it. And that's very different. Um, that's very different discovery process than other types of products. The other key differentiator in, in this space is the delivery process, right? So you can probably, I'm sure, you know, you've probably had furniture delivered before. Um, typically, it's a uh, very poor experience. Um, it can take weeks and weeks and weeks. And, um, you know, it can arrive sort of in a, you know, messy. There's lots of product around it that's wrapping it. Um, you know, it's very difficult to figure out what to do with it. If it's not right, you have to call the store back, have them come pick it up again. This is even if you're going to a physical retail store, right? They don't, they don't often have the inventory on the floor to sell you. Um, so an, an area that we've really focused on from the customer experience is building out that logistics infrastructure so we can get the product faster to her um, in a more convenient way, you know, allowing our customers to schedule tighter delivery windows, to schedule delivery windows in the evening and on the weekends when people are actually home rather than, you know, a five-hour wait in the middle of the Tuesday when most of us had to be at work. Um, and that's a very different kind of delivery experience than the vast majority of products that are bought online, which, again, are consumables and are, are largely small parcel products. Is that the reason? I mean, the the, the two things that you mentioned the, uh, the the kind of the assortment effect, the fact that there is kind of no known or few known brands, a massive variety, and then this kind of somewhat special delivery process. Is that what you think explains why Amazon moved reasonably late into the space? I mean, I, I think they are now pretty aggressive pushing for furniture. I think around four billion dollars in the space already, but but they were relatively late to that party. Is that a, a fair observation as an outsider? I, I think that is. And if you think about um, where Amazon has really excelled, right, it's in low-skew pr 
proliferation, high turn categories that um, can go, you know, one guy in a truck can deliver. So it is your AAA batteries. It's the Lego set for your kids. It's the paper towels. Um, you know, it's, it's, again, those branded products. Um, that you were looking for that are small parcel delivery that you don't have to visually browse the Amazon site for. If you type in blue couch to the Amazon site, it's a terrible experience, right? So it is, it's not designed for this industry. We are purpose built for this industry. Um, so if you think about where Amazon has struggled, um, you know, fashion is actually a place where they have not excelled as much because it doesn't fit their category in the same way. I would say home decor and furnishing is, is similar. Um, so when you think about how they bolt onto their platform, adding on this is not as exciting um, and appealing. It doesn't leverage the infrastructure that they've built because their product, their their infrastructure is all around, you know, high high inventory turn, low skew proliferation, branded, small parcel delivery. In case you're just tuning in, you're listening to Work of Tomorrow here on Business Radio. I'm your host, Christian Tevish, and I'm chatting with Kate Gulliver, the global head of talent at Wayfair. And we're talking about Wayfair versus Amazon and why kind of Amazon has moved reasonably late into, into furniture, this, the challenges of inventory turnovers and many SKUs. One thing, Kate, that I thought Amazon did pretty well is to leverage consumer search data to decide what new products to launch, not just what new products to kind of put in the assortment, maybe sometimes even create your own products. You describe yourself as a data company. Do you, do you follow a similar strategy that you look for consumer search patterns and then kind of refocus your assortments or even have your suppliers design products that you feel like are allowing for good margins at the moment or are like underprovided? Absolutely. And that's, that's really core to how we work with our suppliers, right? We see them as our partners. So we want to help them produce product that we think um, will meet the customer needs. We are, um, you know, our, our company has about 5,000 people in, in, in sort of corporate, right, um, or roughly 5,000 people in Boston. Of those 20, which is where our corporate headquarters are, of those 2,100 are tech roles. So that's engineers, that's data scientists, that's, um, you know, our, our technical products people, business intelligence folks. And you mentioned we call ourselves a, a, a data company. Well, that's that's why, right? So those guys are working with the data, um, and and they can say, hey, you know, we know from a personalization perspective that folks really are targeting this type of product, or they want X, Y, Z. And then on the back end, our supplier operations partners and our category managers and our merchants are able to take and interpret that data and say, okay, you know, we're really seeing gaps in the assortment of woven baskets that are this size people are looking for that and we don't have it um you know let's go work with supplier x who we know can produce that to get them to you know sort of design what our customers need or let's go source that from supplier a who who also sells that um similarly we'll say hey this vanity that we sell a lot of it's really popular to our customers we know routinely it comes damaged on the um you know front left hand side so supplier, you know, supplier Y, when you're packaging that, we want to work with you to make sure that you're packaging it so that it doesn't arrive damaged because that's better for our customer. Um, but it's also better for you, supplier, because you won't lose out on the return there when it comes back and it's damaged and you have to, you know, fulfill and send another one. Um, so we're constantly using data 
um, to work with our suppliers so that our suppliers can help us get our customers better products. We're also using data to help target our customers more effectively, to help them have a better experience on the site. It's a core part of what we do. Um, we use data and talent. You know, we, we use data across our entire business. Is the nature of the industry extremely fragmented? I mean, you must be having a supply base that includes yes. tens of thousands of companies. So yes, meaning you're a fragmented industry? Furniture, yes. Furniture and decor has historically been a highly fragmented industry, both from the retailer side and the supplier side. Um, Certainly, you know, we are playing some role in, um, you know, sort of uh, some moderate role in, in some consolidation of that, but it is a highly, highly fragmented industry. Most people, um, when they think about retailers and furniture, they think about the regional chain that they grew up near or that they live near now. Um, they don't very recently that people started to think about sort of more national brands in the space. Uh, similarly, the, the suppliers are, are highly fragmented as well, which is why it's important to be able to provide your customers that breadth of selection and be able to partner with a broad range of suppliers from extremely sophisticated, you know, incredibly large, um, meaningful, you know, businesses to maybe a smaller supplier that really has a specialty focus, um, but creates a beautiful product that, that are beautiful good that we want to, you know, um, enable our customers to purchase as well. We talked about Amazon, and I think uh, Wall Street people typically associate with Amazon the long road to profitability, if you wish, right? I mean, I, I think it lies in the nature of many fast-growing companies that, there are periods of, of growth pain. Uh, what is kind of your roadmap from being focusing on growth for, to focusing on profitability? I mean, Tesla was in the news recently with the first positive cash flow quarter. Amazon went through that and took them quite some time. Where does Wayfair stand on that journey? Yeah, so, um, you know, we, we, we share every time we announce earnings that um, we are very confident in the investment that we're making right now in our growth. Um, e-commerce is a space where um, there's significant first mover advantage and speed is critical. And so right now we see significant opportunity to continue investing in the growth of our business and in what we're providing our customer. Um, and, and we believe that those investments have a high ROI and are the right things to build long-term profitability, which is what we're really focused on. Um, all of our um, employees are, are aligned against that as well. Um, you know, it's something that we really work with our team on, on and on understanding sort of how do we make the right decisions that create the right long-term benefit for the business versus maximizing some short-term gain. Um, and so consequently right now, it's, you know, investment, um, you know, in, in our logistics infrastructure, it's investment in our European business uh, where we see phenomenal growth opportunity and a continued investment in our, in our customer experience and our product offering in the U.S. Talk a little bit about how you make money. I mean, in, in some sense, that's, uh, that sounds uh, like a very naive question. But um, so there's money when, when you sell the bunk beds that we talked about at the beginning of the show. Uh, you're selling them for, God knows, 600 and you, you're buying them for 500 And so you make $100 of a profit there. Are there other revenue sources that you're selling data to your suppliers about kind of that allow for analytics and insights? where you have like on-site advertisements of, of external parties, or is it all a clean revenue story from like price times volume? Um, the vast, vast majority of the revenue is from the, the sale of goods, right? Similar to a, you know, any other retailer that you might think about, it's from, it's from the sale of that product. Um, and we we are a retailer. We are not a marketplace. So we you know we recognize um, the revenue as the, the the value that we sell it at. Um, and then we have cost of goods sold, which includes the the cost of that product and the delivery cost to get it to you. 
Um, so, so that is the vast, vast, vast majority of, of the revenue. We do not sell data to our um, suppliers. We share that data with them um, to help and partner with them to, um, you know, to get them to be able to provide, um, you know, a better customer experience. And what we're sharing there is not, you know, individual customer transactions to be very clear. We're sharing trends with them, right? So we'll say, hey, you know, we know that um, this kind of product class is trending up and people want to buy more of that. Or we see going into the holiday season um, that we think if you did a XYZ discount on, you know, these recliners that we might be able to sell more of that recliner. Here's what we expect to be able to sell. Um, so that's the kind of data that, that we share with our suppliers. Kate, uh, talk about your personal responsibility as at Wafer as Global Head of Talent. Yeah, so I... Um, I uh, manage all talent aspects at Wayfair with my team. Um, that includes everything um, from hiring, um, sort, of, sort of before you're even at Wayfair, to let's say all the way on through alumni experience, right? Um, so it's hiring, it's the development of talent when they're at the company, um, it is the um, you know the coaching of that talent, it's thinking through the incentive structure for that talent, um, it's helping with succession planning. Um, and then, you know, it's helping manage sort of on the back end as well when, when you know, those employees move on. Um, we have grown rapidly from an um, employee perspective over the last several years, um, due to, partly due to significant investment in our logistics infrastructure and, and the ongoing vertical integration there, um, and also the, you know, ongoing expansion of our, of our tech team. Um, and and as, a, as a result, you know, we, we feel that we're better able to meet the, the customer needs through that growth, but it's been an exciting time to be in the talent role. You have about uh, ten thousand employees, right? Uh, how many right. of those? Yep. How many of those? Uh, to go back to our earlier discussion, could actually put my bunk bed together, or my my, my new? Uh, <laughs> I, I just read that uh, my, the uh, the IKEA my, my favorite IKEA product was this bookshelf uh, Billy, and apparently due to macro trends yes, of teenagers yes. no longer reading, it will be discontinued soon. But how many of your employees oh, wow. can actually put could put Billy together to me? Okay, well, so I, none of our employees officially should be putting Billy together for you. <laughs> Thank um, you. And for a few reasons. One, because Billy is not ours, and we could sell you, I think, a great bookcase. Um, and, and two, um, the employees that um, – so we don't actually have, as our employees, the people that put the product together. The, um, that's through a partnership with a third party um, called Handy. Handy, right? That's um, what you mentioned. So our, yes, Handy. So of our 10,000 employees – um, think about roughly half of those is sitting in the field. And that's a mix of warehouse, um, uh, last mile delivery agents, mm -hmm. and call centers. So all of our call centers are our own people. Um, they are domestic um, to the country that we sell in. So, you know, in Germany, they're based in Germany. Um, so we have you know, several large call centers across the U.S. Our warehouses are largely our own employees. We do occasionally or we do sometimes work with temp um, employees in there, but always with the goal of converting them to full-time. So these are these are our direct employees, um, but they are not the people that are coming into your home and building the, you know, sort of assembling the product for you if you've bought a product that needs to be assembled. And then of the roughly, you know, five-ish thousand that are in corporate, um, as I mentioned before, roughly 20, a little over 2,000 of those are, um, so roughly 2,100 are tech. Um, so our engineers, our data scientists, business intelligence, et cetera. Kate, I should have done this as my homework before, but I, I, I kind of failed on this one here. But uh, I'm just curious, if you do like 2,000 tech employees for the global revenue of $6 billion that you have, is that a roughly, is that a similar ratio to an Amazon? Or are you, are you like more leveraged, less leveraged if you think about one employee? Or is that just a n number that makes no sense? 
Um, interesting question. I actually um, wouldn't know that, don't know that number off the top of my head. But I would say right now we are so early on in our growth um, that we're certainly looking at productivity per employee. Right. That's that's actually I think a generally a good um, metric to evaluate. I would say it's probably too early to say revenue generated per tech employee and compare that to a much larger. Um, you know, established tech company. We are still building out our tech team because we see so much growth ahead of us. You know, we grew, you know, 40% roughly in Q3 revenue. Um, so certainly we are still investing in those groups and we wouldn't say that any of them are at a maturity state yet. So you're, you're in some sense, you're, you're, you're overhiring, and pardon the wording, right, but you're overhiring because you want to have a runway to grow afterwards. Yeah, I would not describe it as overhiring. I would describe it as right you know, hiring. We're thoughtful about where we see, yes, right hiring. But we're we're thoughtful about where we see investment opportunities. So, you know, an example I could use is a few years ago, um, we were not in registry, um, and we saw an opportunity to get in the registry business. A lot of the products we sell, obviously, are ideal for either um, you know a marriage registry when you're maybe thinking about building a home or um, potentially a new baby registry. You know, you mentioned sort of products that I like. I've had two children in the past few years, so I'm always thinking about the baby products. Um, so that, that was an uncharted territory for us, right? We hadn't gone into that. We didn't have any team around that. Well, of course, we hired the team there ahead of building building out that business um, and, and building out that offering. Um, and we still see significant opportunities like that, um, that we hire the team, obviously, ahead of the revenue, um, but we're we're very comfortable in that investment because we track very closely what the ROI of these investments are. What do you think is coming next for you guys? I mean, again, you have this amazing team together. You are managing to sell something that is really hard to sell, furniture for the reasons that we discussed at the beginning of the interview. Um, are you are you going to penetrate the market more with furniture? Is it a global expansion? Is it kind of loose broadening the scope a little bit? What's the future for Wayfair? We continue to see, um, so, so uh, you've mentioned a few things there that we're very focused on. Um, we continue to see significant opportunity in the U.S. Um, so the, the furniture, um, home decor and furniture industry broadly is over, you know, $300 billion in the U.S., um, similar size roughly in, in Western Europe. Um, you know, we're, we're sort of running, uh, you know, around $6 billion-ish roughly if you take the, the LPM period. So um, based on that, you know, there's six, as you and I talked about, it's highly fragmented. There's significant runway in the U.S. And part of what we've been doing is making sure that we are meeting the customer in the way that she wants to be met and expanded our offering to meet that. So, for example, a few years years ago or two years ago, we launched a high-end brand called Paragold. We didn't have a high-end offering before for a website. We wanted to be able to target the customer directly in that way. Um, or, as I said, we've you know vertically integrated um, to be able to provide the customer these better delivery experiences because we know the customer has a great experience as measured by a high-end PS, she's much more likely to come back and buy from us again. So we continue to see significant penetration potential in the U.S., uh, but we are also um, you know, growing our markets in, in Europe as well. We sell in Germany and the U.K., um, and we see, we see um, sort of significant long-term runway there. And we recently we launched Canada a few years ago, and that's been a great growth story for us as well. So we're very focused on making our core business, home decor and furniture, continue to work better for the customer. And maybe that means, um, you know, creating another offering like registry or high-end. Um, maybe that means, um, you know, managing the delivery process in a different way or partnering with somebody, as you mentioned, like a handy to, to provide them that experience. Um, and there are many different ways that we look at that, but it's all around in-home decor and furniture. How do we get that, get to that customer better faster how do we create a better experience for her and that's that's really what we've done all the hiring around is, is you know how do we think through creating that experience better for her 
Says Kate Gulliver, the global head of talent at Wafer. Thank you so much, Kate. We've been listening here to Work of Tomorrow on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.